0: Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle-grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers a true reason it's off-limits. Discover Doom Dune's secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N dot com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. So all of us creatives run into issues while making our art. There might be time constraints on a project, an issue with the sound system, or a new venue we're just not quite used to. There are typically infinite ways to go about solving these problems, but I'd argue that your work will be much better off if you can find a creative approach to solving the issue. My guest this week excels at that very thing, and it's one of the many topics we cover on the show. Alex Brewbaker is a fingerstyle guitarist and produces his unique sound using a variety of methods, from live looping to percussive taps on his instrument. We also discuss how songs speak stories. Why Alex started playing barefoot and the pressure social media imposes on today's artists. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Alex, welcome to Cause of Craft. Hey, thanks for having me, John. So, with writers, there's always a lot of talk about voice and finding your voice and sounding like a different writer than the other writers and developing who you are as a writer. How does that happen? with musicians and you're, you know, you're playing a guitar that has guitars have similar voices between guitars. I'm sure they vary slightly, but how do you stand out from the other guitarists with the music that you develop?
1: So I think that's kind of like a, almost a lifelong process. Um, cause everybody is always kind of trying to figure out what they want to sound like, what inspirations they're drawing from. Uh, I, I know since the time when I started, when I was 11 or 12, my taste in music has drastically shifted. Um, it's it's expanded significantly from the, the things I was listening to at that time to what I listen to today. And so I think all of those things kind of come in to play um, throughout our lives and, and shape what we want to do um and so my my personal journey i kind of started off just playing acoustic guitar kind of learning the basics um and then throughout like the next several years just kind of finding what i liked about guitar what different types of music i liked i went through like a heavy metal stage i went through a prog stage and then ultimately to get to where i'm at now I think it was maybe around 2007, uh, a friend of mine forced me, and, and I say forced because he had been suggesting that I watch this uh, this video on YouTube for like a week or so. And then he finally stopped me and said, all right, we're not going to lunch until you sit down <laughs> and you watch this video of Trace Bundy, um, this phenomenal fingerstyle guitarist. And And so I relented and we sat down and it was just like the craziest thing i had ever seen um at that point i was like primarily focused on playing electric and not really thinking much about the acoustic guitar Um, but then i saw trace bundy doing things where he had both hands on the neck of the guitar and just like I, i think at that time he was doing some live looping which is like recording what you're playing and then playing back over top of that all in like a live setting. So seeing some, some things like that, um, implemented with an acoustic guitar, there's, he was also implementing like percussive elements of like hits on the body of the guitar to create like these drum sounds. And so I saw that video in 2007 and almost immediately shifted my focus from electric guitar to acoustic guitar. Really haven't looked back a whole lot since then, but have have kind of developed my sound. Like I said, I had a lot of background with like prog and metal, and and that kind of drew me into the um, realm of just being a a more technical guitarist, as well as um, really liking different effects and and the use of things like the live looping that I mentioned or like delays and reverbs just different things to alter the the sonic properties of the guitar so that you can have an acoustic guitar that it'll sound like an acoustic guitar when you want it to but it could also sound just like this big ethereal kind of cathedral like bell sound or kind of finding ways to to transcend what is typically thought of um, as just an acoustic guitar and just expanding upon that. But I wanted to take the culmination of my experiences and create something new and something that was unique. Like The, the things that I think that I hear in my head that I want to get out, um, I think those are things that that are in there and I want to get out because they're things that I don't hear other places. Um, and so I think there's just kind of an endless possibility of different sounds you can create. And I'm just kind of exploring that for myself.
0: I love how you have this unique sound. I, I know whenever I'm listening to your music, I, I think of how it truly is. And again, I, I, I'm not listening to a million fingerstyle guitarists. So I think I think on that level too, it, it adds a unique flavor to the music that I already listen to. But then on top of that, just the way you're handling the instrument is not something that I'm used to from other musicians. So I always appreciate that as a listener to have that extra layer of novelty in there. Um, but it's not novelty for... It doesn't come off as novelty for novelty's sake. Like It's really integrated into the art well. I, I think you do a really good job with that. Oh, well, thank you. I do want to say... That for everyone listening, I don't know if they related to this as well, but I think we all have the friend who's like, You have to read this book because (laughs) it's like, you know, this thing that's going to change your life. And it's like, Yeah, yeah. And it's like sitting on the pile. They give us a free version of the book. Oh, whatever. I'll get it. I'll get around to it. (laughs) But in your case, like this ended up being this life changing thing for you. And so I guess it's a word of encouragement to people who, you know, have good influences on their life that might be showing them something that could really improve or change the writing in a a good way.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, as kind of a guitarist and creative in that space, and, and like you said, as an author yourself, like you get people pretty constantly saying like, Oh, you've got to listen to X, Y, and Z, or you've got to read such and such book, which I can only imagine like how much more daunting it is. To be told like, hey, you have to devote the next 10 hours of your life to reading this book (laughs) versus like, hey, you should listen to this four-minute song. (laughs) There's – Uh, a level of increased commitment, I think, with with what you're being asked to do. Um, But even still, just as a musician being told, like, oh, you should check out so-and-so, like, I try to do that as much as I can. But the reality of it is that there's still probably, I'd say, hundreds of musicians that have been recommended to me throughout the years that I've had good intention of uh, checking out and been unable to do so.
0: So I want to get more into your process in a second, but kind of stay on on this topic. You mentioned, you know, people handing me books and people handing you uh, YouTube videos uh, with music. Do you find influence outside of other guitarists as well? Like, like are there books, are there movies that inspire you in a certain way that influences your music? Subconsciously, I'm sure that that happens
1: on some level, but but I don't know that it's necessarily a very intentional thing. I mean, I think we inherently get uh influence from just our day-to-day lives right like we have so many experiences and especially with sound or with in your case like writing how how so much writing is uh intended to be like visualized by the reader um i think we have so many stimuli that we uh receive Throughout, like our day-to-day lives, that those inherently, um, those things inherently kind of make their way into our music. But as far as intentional influence from reading things or intentional influence from, I don't know, seeing a movie or or something like that, I, don't, I think most of the intentionality that I have is very closely related to music and sound um i say sound because again we're kind of inundated with sounds throughout our lives whether we're like just driving down the road and maybe we have the window open or something or uh like a rainstorm or something where you've got that type of rhythmic um like sound in in the background like there's there's always something to draw from um and I'll hear, I think, things like A Storm or uh, just kind of background noise will give me ideas in terms of a space maybe that that my music can exist within. Um, I think a good example of that is, I believe it was on my first album, there's a track that's kind of this slow, moody, um, it's actually... Played on an electric guitar. Um, on on that, it's I'm looking for a copy of the album in my room right now, and I'm not seeing it. So I, that the name is kind of escaping me, but the track itself, when we recorded it, is a little bit noisy in the background. Um, so after listening to the recording uh, a little bit more, we kind of came up with the the uh, engineer and determined that like yeah this this would be perfect if it were in the setting of like a thunderstorm and so we actually found um like some recordings of storms and kind of put those into the background of that song and it kind of uh cleaned up some of the just electrical interference kind of noise i mean with with some guitars you get a little bit of a hum and that was kind of what we were trying to drown out but it perfectly blended in with kind of the mood of the song and so that's kind of what i what i think about in terms of just everyday sounds that i'm encountering and they don't all i'd say very few things kind of actually end up in my music in that form where it's like taking an actual recording of a storm or something but just having those ideas in terms of like maybe setting the mood for um a piece that i'm working on or or figuring out like other ways to add like sampling um that's one thing that i did with one of the tracks on on the new album um as mountains fall into the sea i used a bunch of samples um Uh, from like some JFK speeches and uh, one of the Apollo launches and like kind of wove those into what I had as a a purely like instrumental track that was just guitar and, and kind of turned the whole thing into what I was envisioning as, as a story just kind of from the start. It was kind of, that was kind of my view and, um, and my vision for the piece to begin with. And then once I added those elements, then it really kind of brings more, I think, into, um, into the the whole story.
0: Yeah. I have two distinct thoughts about that. The one is, uh, you know, you, you talk about this practical solution to that problem of the hum. And I know I have that a lot too, where things start out as I'm looking for this practical solution to fix something, but then it comes together in a more artful way than that you know like like and it's cool because it solves these two separate things where you have the practicality of the issue and then you also then have an extra layer of artfulness that wouldn't have been there otherwise so it kind of ends up being this limitation early on ends up pushing a boundary that you didn't know you would like to push. So I think it's cool to hear about that. And then you mentioned thinking especially with the the track that uses the JFK quotes, you talk about having a sort of story with the music. Is that something that's specific to certain tracks or do you do you usually start writing a song based on based on the story whether it be something from your life or or something outside of it? I think all of the pieces that I'm writing
1: have some subconscious influence in in that way, but a lot of them kind of start out with not necessarily a uh, intentional direction in in terms of the story of the song. Most songs don't start out with titles or uh, thematic type ideas, but as the song progresses, then and it's again it's kind of Things that are kind of swirling around in my head that um, I just innately kind of have to create and get out uh, of there. And and so, as that's coming together, as that's piecing itself uh, along, a lot of times those stories pop out just for me in the song itself. Just kind of looking at the last album, um, Building Harmonic Castles, looking at that, like there's a song in there titled Summer Camp. And I think this is just like, to me, like that's one of the most beautiful um, pieces in terms of how that fell together. Uh, it's just this was, it was this kind of fun, bouncy track that's really not super technical, but it's just really like i said fun and kind of as i listened to it it reminded me of just kind of like running in the grass or like laying in the grass looking up at this at the stars or like going to a lake sitting around a campfire and the more i was playing this piece um and and as i was writing this piece it just kind of struck me one day as like these are all things that i associate with like summer camp from my youth and like the more that I started to think about like, yeah, this is summer camp, the more it was like, this song is titled summer camp. Like I didn't know it th- at that time, but like it very definitely was. Um, and one of the neat things then was over the last couple years, years, um, really pre COVID and trying to, get into that again now, but I, I've been working with a violinist, uh, Joe Chang, and when I brought summer camp to Joe and we started collaborating on it, and unfortunately he's not on any of the recordings uh, to this point, but as he was adding his guitar, his violin parts, it, basically I was in that space as I was playing summer camp where I was like really feeling like I was at camp, and then Joe is playing along, and i can't think of any camp experience i had that included a violin but as soon as he started to play along and we were really working through the arrangement of the song it like from that point on it was like yeah violin is like an integral part of summer camp when like literally it was never a part of my summer camp it was definitely a part of all of joe's summer camps but just adding his part it just felt so right for that experience. And it kind of, again, like really the music shapes that story. And and I think the the titles themselves just kind of come out of uh, what, what the music is revealing.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. Uh, you mentioned that you listened to uh, an earlier episode of the show where we talk about that exact concept in writing, where it's kind of something that slowly is coming out and you're almost like revealing it as it goes. And so it's so interesting to hear that happen from a musical standpoint as well. Definitely. When I think of
1: writing a, a book or something, to me, the process would be a very linear one. I would think to like, okay, we need to like storyboard this or something. And and I was kind of surprised to hear that that wasn't um, like the process with the the author that I listened to on on one of the, your earlier episodes and uh, how it very much related to the way that I approach music. Uh, there are things where I kind of will tr- more intentionally try to outline a song or, or ideas, but yeah, by and large, it's kind of this progressive revelation type thing. Um, type process, uh, for better or worse. I know there are all sorts of songwriters and composers who have very uh, rigid ideas of, of what the best way to compose or, or write is, and I think that's probably very true of their own material. But in, in my personal experience, with within the constraints of my other life responsibilities and, and my, how I'm able to use my practice time and the amount that I'm actually able to work on music. I think the practicality of what I do makes a lot more sense to me.
0: Before we maybe get out of some of the process, let's talk about the what you I I keep thinking of new names, like like loop generator, what's the live looping, live looping, there we go. So can (laughs) you talk a little bit about that? Because I saw you in person use this live looper and uh, talk about like fascination with, you know, like, like, sometimes like someone will show you like a, a computer, a cool computer thing or some new technology, and you're like, wow, or like, they'll show you an old typewriter and you're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I had that sort of feeling when I first saw your live looper.
1: Kind of the concept of live looping is that you're, you're just recording what you're playing and then you're able to play it back um, and then play over top of it. And and so there's a very, there are very rudimentary ways to use a looper where like when I first got my looper, basically all I was doing was looping, Chord progressions and like aimlessly soloing over it, which can be helpful, but by and large is not terribly interesting for um, someone to listen to or to watch or uh, to really experience. It doesn't add a whole lot musically if you're just kind of noodling around on the guitar. So there are definitely ways to um, build and. Kind of construct these layers that are more musical, more engaging, more interesting. And that's really kind of what I've tried to work into my music rather than having those like sections where it's a chord progression and I'm playing like a solo. Um, because that's not something that I, it's, it's not a forte of mine. I, I don't do that particular, por- like, style of looping well and, and i don't think that that's something i think that's kind of largely overdone by loopers um, especially ones who are just getting into the craft so i, I try to um, use looping more texturally uh, now and, and i think this last album really exemplifies a lot of those efforts uh, one of the, the really neat things that you'll hear on like the second half of the album is the use of like a reversed loop. So what I'm actually doing is looping a part of uh, of the song earlier in the piece, and then when I go to play it back, it's actually playing in reverse. And I use that as like a transitional piece between songs. And, and what that actually uh, was born out of was as as i kind of have shifted from different types of of gigs that i'll play at one point in time i was playing all these coffee shops and like places where it's kind of a a casual listening environment where i could like tell stories and stuff in between songs especially while i'm like changing tunings or something and that works really well just to play a song and then there's silence and i'm talking and then I play a song and then there's talking but probably about five years ago or so I started to get involved in more of like the DIY scene where it's a lot of um, playing with other bands uh, playing like house shows in like a college kids basement or something like that or and and so all these shows that I was now on the bill for they, they were a completely different audience I was no longer playing for like middle-aged um, patrons of a coffee shop it was now playing for like high school and college kids who have a drastically different way that they relate to music a drastically different type of attention span I was seeing that really in between songs none of them stopped and told stories because as soon as you do that the kids lose interest they're they're there for the music and they want to experience the music and so I, I kind of figured out that while I was trying to change tuning or like just anything in between songs that it ne- I needed to, Continue to have something like orally stimulating that would hold interest and kind of maybe raise some eyebrows. And so I started doing a lot more with that, like reversed loop type effect, and then some other glitchy type effects to have something that is bridging the gap in between songs and it allows the flow sonically to be a lot more fluid rather than broken up by me telling a story and it kind of allows the music to solely speak for itself and so i've integrated that into a little bit of what's recorded on on the latest album and i'm sure that that will continue to come up um as i continue to write and and record
0: Wow. Talk about artistic solutions to practical problems. If the thunderstorm thing was like level one or maybe like level five, this was like level 101 or 105. Like, like that's that's such a cool story about how you took something that was a need that you needed to fill and you brought this artistic solution that you were so happy with that it ended up making its way right onto the, the album.
1: Yeah. And I think it was also that like really reflected... A lot of my influences as well. Um, there's a lot of post-rock that you'll hear has like these more kind of spatial elements to the sounds. Um, and that was really something that I wanted to be incorporating, but I wasn't quite sure how I was going to achieve that. And, and really that problem that I was kind of faced with gave me the perfect opportunity to explore uh, a different solution.
0: How many different loops can the live looper hold at once? Is there a, I would assume there's some sort of numerical limit on that?
1: So the loopers that I have, one of them, it, it will just basically hold one and you can do as many overdubs as you want. That may be actually limited to like, I don't know, a hundred or something, but practically speaking, if you're overdubbing a hundred times onto something, it's (laughs) going to sound like garbage. And then the, the main looper that I use, I think it has banks for maybe like 15 or 20 stored loops that you can save and go back to they're definitely i, I think looping technology has really expanded um, in the last i've like 15 years since i've started to uh, explore it and there are definitely m- much more uh, powerful processing uh, applications for live looping now and, and all sorts of different equipment that, that's out there. I just haven't gotten to the point where I'm exploring that personally. I'd love to, but practically I, I don't know that I have the, just the time to dedicate to doing those things well.
0: You and imagine even the execution of using the Live Looper adds a layer. You know, you're already focusing so much on playing the guitar. Uh, did it take a while for you to get used to, I guess, the rhythm of incorporating that? Absolutely. When I first got the Live
1: Looper, I, for I don't know how long, probably probably months or even years, thought that there was something wrong with the equipment because... <laughs> It never, like nothing was ever on beat. And ultimately, that was just me not being very good at it. I think the big challenge with looping is that if you make a mistake, you get to hear that again and again and again and again. And that's what I was doing very early on. And so I've, over time, gotten a much better feel for that. Um, And uh, one of the big challenges then is yeah, you know, like you said, just being able to integrate that smoothly um, along with like the other effects that I have. Um, one of the things that a lot of people will note while I'm playing uh, is that I almost exclusively will play barefoot, and that's because there I've got like a dozen pedals on my pedal board, including the two loopers, and I'm kind of depending on what what kind of set that I'm playing. Um, a lot of times, I'm pretty constantly. Moving buttons and hitting switches and and uh, kind of turning knobs, all with like my feet and my toes while I'm playing in order to manipulate uh, the sound to get it kind of just right where I want it, and to also do like if I'm turning a knob, a lot of times that's in order to do some type of effect swell that I couldn't otherwise get. Um, so it's just a there's kind of, there's all sorts of things going on with my hands and playing and all sorts of things also going on with my feet. And um, there's a lot of kind of orchestration as I'm trying to figure out kind of how to play a song in a live setting.
0: So we've talked a lot about your live performances, but you also have these four albums. I guess one of the albums is a live album, but with the albums, what's the difference between how you approach having a released album versus how you perform something live? Yeah, the the actual
1: process to creating an album looks a lot different, um, at least for me, than going to a venue, setting up and playing, and then packing up and leaving, right? So there's there's so much more attention to nuance. Um, So even if it's just a piece that's just the acoustic guitar, No Effects, which is like the first half of my latest release, is like that. Just the intentionality upon every individual note. Some people are really great in the studio. They go, they sit down, they play their songs, they leave. Personally, I, I wish that I had that uh, level of competence. It's, It's pretty rare that I'll be able to sit down and bang out a song in a couple, like one or two takes. It's a much more, like I said, nuanced process where you're playing through the piece and then listening intently to every note, seeing that you hit every note perfectly um and if there's something there's there's certainly room for imperfections i think that gives recordings character especially if there's a way that it makes it feel more real and not more like robotic Um, there's certainly uh, i think a case to be made of like if if you're playing everything perfectly and every note is like starts and ends exactly where it's supposed to then you can end up with kind of a a very rigid robotic type sound that that, um, there's certainly a place for, but that's not my particular style. So um, we'll go in and record songs as as long as they take. And I worked with a, a great recording engineer up in Connecticut for this last album. So it was kind of driving up there every couple weekends and getting through a couple more songs, a couple more, uh, and then ultimately like everything gets recorded and I end up in the position where, okay, well, in order to actually release something, like I, I need album art. And a lot of times for me, that happens at the very end, even though it's a process that I should have started much earlier <laughs> because it, it always takes longer than anticipated and like the whole process itself ends up drawing out to be like from when I first started recording it was a couple years to when I was actually uh, released the album last year so I've um, been working very closely with a friend of mine from college uh, Mara Sousa actually you know she just got married and she has a Thai last name that I can't pronounce, but formally um, <laughs> Mara Sousa. Um, and w- the process we'll go through with that is basically I'll, prov- I'll give her a lot of the recordings months or, or in some cases years ahead of when everybody else gets to listen to them. And I'll also kind of conceptualize some ideas. I'll sketch some things out. In terms of what I'm thinking of. And we'll just kind of bounce ideas back and forth until she's got a good idea of what exactly I'm looking for. And then her process has been uh, to start with like a pen drawing and then fill in with like watercolors and stuff after that. Because uh, the last two albums that she worked on for me are both watercolor pieces. But, yeah, we we work back and forth with that uh, over a period of time and and eventually, like I'm really happy with the way that this last album turned out. Um, I, I know I've gotten some feedback from some of the more like purist finger style types that like think that the album art is just like really weird and like a big turnoff for people like, wanting to listen to the music initially but I, I think because it is like more abstract um right if, if any of the listeners here like go and look up building harmonic castles it's um the, the the album art is kind of this ant colony that's being led by this um kind of king ant in the in the little corner and they're working to unearth these like monolith type rock formations and in the background you can see all of these other like monolith type formations that are like launching blasting off into the sky Um, and there's just all sorts of different imagery and metaphor that i've kind of put into that and i probably take too long to to actually go through here but it's kind of a weird thing when you put it next to a lot of the other finger style albums that are out there. A lot of those are very straightforward. It's a picture of the guitarist or something like that. Um and I've always had this kind of penchant for the more abstract and I think especially like getting into those prog and post rock type influences like that absolutely influences the art that I want to have representing my music.
0: So I remember seeing on Instagram when you were announcing that your latest album was out, not only were you announcing this, but you were also announcing the birth of your daughter. Uh, And so that's (laughs) a lot of stuff to happen at once. Uh, Could you talk a little bit more about that?
1: So the album itself, like I said, it took several years to uh, actually materialize from the time that I started recording to the time when it was released. And basically, when it came down to the end, um, I was at this like race against the clock because my wife was pregnant and and it only getting more and more pregnant as the months and weeks went by and and so I originally was planning like okay if I can get the release out like a couple weeks before um, our daughter is due then. That will give me a little bit of time to like, maybe I'll play a couple like live streaming shows or something, because this was still like in the midst of, of COVID and, um, last year. And then I think there were a couple more delays. So that just kept pushing us closer and closer. And finally, I was like, OK, this is, this is not going to be ahead of our daughter's birth. I don't know that I want to have it the same day as, as her birth, that would probably cause some <laughs> conflict, and I don't think that that'd be a good idea. So I was like, okay, well, how about I schedule it for like two weeks after her birth? Like, I'll be on paternity leave, I can play a couple live or er, live streaming shows, um, and then, yeah, it'll, we'll just continue on and accept there'll be a baby now. <laughs> and then she was a week late. So... The release was actually, she was born on the 2nd, and the release was on October 9th. <laughs> so we had a, a one-week-old at home, and I'm trying to, in between like all of the newborn care things, trying to also orchestrate everything to make sure that there's all of the internet stuff is in line for the release and getting notices out and emails. And that was a very chaotic time. But I knew when I was setting up like the date, I was like, look, if I don't do it now, it's going to sit for months, maybe a year. Like this was our first child. So I have had no idea what to expect. I just knew kids take a lot of time and I didn't want to be sacrificing that for trying to have this grand launch of the new album um so it it maybe didn't uh release in the same grandeur that i would have wanted it to um but yeah i'm really glad to have released it um it's gotten a lot of good traction um and i'm excited to eventually be playing a lot of this stuff live again Um, that's been like another challenge, right? Because uh, we've all kind of been in this like COVID world now for a year and a half. And uh, personally, I have not uh, gotten to play out live since March of, of 2020. Um, been, I think, pretty hard just from a creative aspect. I know we talked a little bit beforehand about maybe getting into some of that.
0: Yeah, of course, because you mentioned before that performing in front of a live audience is how you came up with those reverse transitions. So what does all that mean for you?
1: Yeah, so I think if all of this were to happen at any time, like it's great that it has occurred at the same time that like I've got a newborn. I mean, now she's, um, I think by the time that this, heirs she'll be a year old but there's just it has definitely allowed me a lot more time to be a father and connect with my daughter and, and that's been something I'm very very grateful for but from a creative aspect I, I think it's been really hard and challenging for a lot of people so initially when everything started to uh, be locked down and um are like venues having live music people stopped going out to live shows uh, there's a pretty I think agile shift to being able to do live streams uh, especially for solo artists like your singer-songwriters I think a lot of them have been able to, to really do a great job in connecting with the fans and their audience um, online and that worked really well for a lot of people. It was a little bit challenging, especially for bands for a very long time. But then I started to notice that fewer and fewer people kind of had the same zeal that they entered into those initial months with. and I definitely felt that myself. And part of that, I think is a big shift culturally in how we consume and how we um, kind of treat the arts and, Creative ventures. Uh, There's kind of this idea of being a content creator. And that's something that was very much like emphasized and kind of highlighted the initial or kind of latter months in the COVID experience, where you had this push to like constantly be engaging with fans, with your audience online, to be trying to grow. Uh, your brand in that way, and and eventually I just kind of burned out from that. Um, I was playing a bunch of like live streamed open mics and doing some other like live streaming shows, um, just like from my Facebook page, and I got like some moderate feedback from that. And it was it was fun and everything. But just the idea that in order to stay engaged, you just had to keep putting stuff out there, keep creating, really kind of soured my view of, of what the idea of a content creator is. And, and to this point, I've, I've actually kind of come to resent that as a, as kind of a moniker for creatives and for artists, right? Because the way that we consume art and media is can, can be very disposable. And I think you lose a lot when the audience views your art in that way. And, and especially then if you are starting to view your art that way. And, and so the push to to constantly be releasing music or doing live streams with new songs or just constantly be creating for the sake of creating you lose i think a lot of the genuineness of the art of the craft um yeah and and that's something that i've really stepped back from doing a having a a big online presence and not that it was huge before, but I've really taken a bat that had like kind of put that to the back seat for the time being in favor of letting those things kind of manifest themselves more naturally. Like I'm not going to beat myself up because I didn't record another video for my YouTube channel, or I didn't um, have a, a weekly live stream gig. And, and at this point, it's been months and months since I've done either of those things. And I've become more okay with that. It's certainly challenging to still not have like the, the live music aspect and the performance aspect of it, but to take the pressure off of myself of being a content creator for the sake of competing with other content. Um, I, I think that's very dangerous territory to enter into with art because it devalues art. Uh, It it kind of commodifies art and artistic expression and, and really makes it more about the consumer and their drive to consume than about the artist and what they're trying to convey um, and, and what their lived experience is. So that that's been kind of a challenging thing to to work through, especially as I'm also, like I said, trying to be a father and be very present in my daughter's life. Like it's great that she likes um, and, and kind of lights up whenever I'm playing guitar, but I can't like just kind of lock myself in my room for four hours and play guitar and not be interacting with her because that's not going to be, um, I'll miss out on so much in that way. So there's like the balance there. And then like the content creator challenge that it's just kind of, yeah, it's all been a very challenging kind of transitional time for a lot of artists. And, and I think I've resonated with those challenges, um, as we get into, hopefully being able to have more live music. um, I'm hopeful that some more of that drive um, will return to be naturally kind of engaging in that creative process so that it's not feeling forced or commodified.
0: I think a lot of people will relate to what you're saying because actually one of the reasons that I had thought about doing a podcast was both so I could listen to what other artists had to say about their work, but also create a space where we can talk about things more in depth. Because like you said, like the social media stuff, like when people are in that mode, they're just not in the mode that they are to really appreciate art, unless it's a very specific type of thing, almost if it's created specifically with social media in mind. And I think for both you and I, we're not creating it with social media mind first. Like every now and then I'll do something, I'll dabble in something for fun that's made for social media, like a reel or something like that on Instagram. But it's the true art that I'm trying to work on is not supposed to be consumed through that media. There's a strange pressure to do it. I think kind of culturally, especially like you're saying, with the new culture with COVID, it's almost doubling down on that kind of digital life. But I think that people really need that in-person connection and also need those quiet moments to really experience the art instead of maybe a word like what you were saying, instead of consume the art so they can get something out of it. And so, yeah, the, the podcast, I hope, can be a way for people to... Understand different creators perspectives about why they create and have a deeper appreciation for the art that they do. And of course, you know, we do like little snippets on Instagram, and I try to keep people up to date with whatever the new episodes about, but, you know, you're not going to get there's a reason it's a full podcast and not, you know, I'm not going to upload the full episode to Instagram because the attention that you get there, like, like I've had a couple of like I had did like a audio trailer for the podcast early on. And some people listen to the whole thing on on Instagram. But most people, you know, it's like we'll swipe onto the next thing and all they're getting is, oh, there, he has a new podcast and either I'll listen to it later or I won't they're not really in the mindset to dwell on whatever the the audio trailer is but yeah it's 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 a difficult thing and i think the frustration is there for a lot of creators because like you said it's this it feels like everyone is shouting at us to figure out a way to use these things to promote ourselves and to to repurpose you know our art on them but in if we're repurposing our art on those platforms like it just really takes something away from it
1: yeah and especially if you're you're shifting the way in which you create your art to be more focused about the consumer now i know there's there's obviously marketing strategies in that um but to me as someone who's not solely reliant on an income from my art. I do have like a day job, but that to me just kind of would kill some of, and it has, uh, as I've tried to play like the social media game, um, it, it has kind of killed some of the natural creativity um, of my art form. And, and I think it's really important that, that you're having these conversations that we're having this conversation um, and that it's in like a, a podcast type form because I think that's definitely podcasts for me have been a, a great way to relate back to humanity and get out of that forced box that that like the cre- the consumer culture of um, creativity is kind of, tried to force everybody into it gives a little bit more time to dissect things dissect the world we're living in dissect art and creative ideas in in a, a more holistic way rather than trying to yeah have like a an instagram reel or something that just says consume my stuff like buy my things
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> pay attention to me pay attention yeah, to exactly.
0: me Again, if you're performing in a live venue, the way that someone is experiencing you and your music there, it just puts them on such better footing to have a, they they have a better chance at, oh, I want to keep listening to this. We saw that person live, like, let's look them up on Spotify. Or, you know, like a lot of things are about like TikTok or these reels on Instagram. And it's just the number of people that see them is huge, but they're coming to it to just, you know they're like flicking the TV channel a million times a second. And they're just like, cool, cool, cool. Like they might stop one out of a thousand times and be like, well, that's really what I like. I want to see that more specifically, but then it's one in a thousand times, you know, if that
1: you lose a lot of the relational aspects, especially the last year and a half, like relationship and community has been things that people have really kind of been missing and have been longing for. I know like, myself included, just the not seeing friends as, as frequently or, or just the circumstances under which you're seeing people, um, that definitely, as it relates to art, I think that it adds like a level of separation from the artist. And I think one of the most beautiful things about different art forms is the way that you can relate and just have that connection to the artists and the art form.
0: Yeah, a, a thought that crossed my mind during all this too is, so you talk about how some of these circumstances are clearly stifling some creativity or you're not able to get an extra layer of creativity that you can at a live performance or, or if things are kind of functioning in the, the way that we're all used to. But do you see those trials and maybe not yet but maybe on the horizon those trials plus this brand new experience of being a father i don't know if you're currently writing new music now but do you see those two things either separately or together influencing like at the beginning of this conversation we were talking about subconscious and you know when you're writing a song and you realize that it's that it's summer camp will you be writing and and notice that oh this is what it's like to be a father this is what it's like to be a father during the pandemic. This is what it's like to be a musician father during a pandemic. Yeah, I
1: definitely think that that's going to be playing a huge role in my creative process over the coming years. There are a couple pieces that I'm working on right now that maybe have a little bit of that related into them, but, but largely don't at this point. But I think as I write more, um, and just have just the this these different set of experiences and trying to relate those into my music i think that's definitely going to be very integral in how that is shaped and i, I think it'll be a good thing uh, a net gain i think for my creative process my music um it there's definitely very challenging times where it it feels like all creativity has been like drained from me. But I I think overall, there's just a lot of opportunity, especially in having a daughter in having um, just so many more experiences to draw from and to um, use towards creating.
0: So this episode, it was funny. We were talking before we recorded, uh, you were saying, oh, I hope that this can come out around the time that, you know, you're celebrating this, this one year anniversary. And I looked at the schedule and it was the exact week already. So (laughs) yeah,
1: perfect. So I'll, I'll have a one year old, which is kind of crazy to think that it's already been a year. Um, but I'll also have uh, Building Harmonic Castles will also be one year old since, um, <laughs> as we were talking, the uh, the album released only a week after uh, our daughter was born. So that's something really kind of exciting for me, a, a milestone for an album to kind of hit those like one year, five year, um, like 10 year markers. And yeah, this being a year old, I'm really excited because I will have at least a couple opportunities to do some live performances in the coming months um, in limited capacity but like actually getting to take that out to real live people in person. I'm very excited for that and very excited just to be able to, to have these celebrations to celebrate my daughter's one year uh, birthday and to celebrate building harmonic castles again, and and in a lot of sense for the first time, that's definitely like because of when both of those events occurred. Like there, there weren't a whole lot of our friends that were around um, our daughter for the first several months, and and even still, there's um, it's not nearly as much as like we would like to see people. So. Having her um, being able to see a bunch of people uh, for her birthday, and then being able to see a bunch of people hopefully and perform for building harmonic castles is going to be going to be a really neat next step. And um, yeah,
0: so this week then is October 9th? October 9th. So this episode yep. will be out. This episode will be a a little bit before that, but October 9th is the actual day. And where can people find uh, information about where to see you live if they were to be in the area? Uh, You're out of Pennsylvania, is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'm right outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So most likely um, anything in the near future is going to be very local, Um, like Lancaster, Harrisburg. Maybe out in in the direction of Philly, but uh, eventually that'll all be on my website, um, which there'll be a link for in the the show notes. Um, Also, primarily I'd say would be on like Facebook, on my Facebook page um, which is Alex Brubaker, uh, music.
0: I really enjoyed getting to know more about your process. I had known just a little bit about it before, but now I feel like I know you better and I know what you go through and how you come up with your ideas better. And and I think, I think people will really benefit from listening to your perspective on things. So I appreciate your time. And thank you,
1: John, for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure to get to talk to you and uh, kind of talk through some of these things. And I look forward to hearing other episodes of the uh, of the podcast and hearing what other creatives um, you you have.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find Alex's music on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, and more. I'll have links to his albums and website in the show notes. His latest release is Building Harmonic Castles. It celebrates its one-year anniversary this week, so be sure to give it some love. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. Every week I interview a different artist about their process and why we create. It's amazing what we can learn from different people about our own craft, and I'm excited to continue sharing these conversations with you. You can follow me on Instagram at John Tilton, that's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N, and you can follow the show at Cause of Craft. There I post updates and visual companions for every episode. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.